Welcome, everybody, to Livestream Stars, special Thursday night edition. I'm Ross Brand. This is the show where we feature talented broadcasters delivering high-quality content across live stream platforms. And our guest is best-selling author, Amazon best-selling author of the new book, Vlog Like a Boss, How to Kill It Online with Video Blogging. It's Amy Schmidauer, also a co-founder, co-owner of Aftermark. And last time we were on, Amy, I, I thought everything was going really well. And about it really four, was. 40 minutes into it, uh, BeLive just froze up. So first of all, I want to thank you for being so generous and coming back. And we do another episode. We do a part two and give people who were, you know, excited to ask you questions and stuff now a chance to get on and, and ask some questions. Definitely. Definitely. I, I had to come back because I was so devastated. <laughs> I felt like we were having such a great conversation. And then I was like, what's happening? So I'm happy to be back. Thank you for allowing me to come back and redeem myself, hopefully. Awesome. Awesome. I don't think you have to redeem yourself, but it, it's great to have great to have you back. So before we get to people's questions, last week, I kind of did a YouTube week, right? And I had mm -hmm. Owen video on and I had Roberto Blake on uh, Monday and Thursday night, respectively. And I, I guess I just want, why don't we start with your thoughts on YouTube now that YouTube Live is available for people mm -hmm. with over 10,000 subscribers. And I'm seeing more people doing super chats and mm -hmm. asking for donations or whatever it is you do with super chat. Right. I'm starting yeah, to yeah. learn about it. What do you think of YouTube as a as a live streaming destination for those who do their vlogging or their regular content live um, as a place to focus their content? Well, it's hugely critical. I mean, YouTube's been a part of the live streaming conversation for a long time. They just never really did it in the user-friendly way that we needed to. So now with live on mobile for YouTube channels of 10,000 subscribers or more being available, that's a huge, a huge deal. And I think we are going to see it for everyone in the future. And that's really important because YouTube wants you to use their stuff. YouTube wants you to upload video there and YouTube definitely wants you to go live. So um, that's that's just a fact of the matter. Live is important because YouTube relies on watch time. That's how they make their money. So the more minutes that are watched on YouTube, the better that it is for, for the platform, for people who are uploading there, um, all of those things. So it's super important that we include live. I mean, I can just say firsthand from my experience so far, I mean, live just absolutely, it's its sort of like what we are given the opportunity to do on Facebook. Facebook wants us to go live. So when we do, they serve us up on the newsfeed and they get us out in front of people, people that have been liking and following our stuff for years. YouTube is doing the same thing right now with mobile live and, and I think uh, desktop live too, but not as many people are using that because um, it's just like a little bit more difficult. You have to get familiar with the Wirecast things or you have to be doing the Google Hangout on air. But the key thing here is the amount of organic reach, watch time, and engagement that's happening with these mobile live streams. It really takes your channel to another level because of how much is happening with it. And if you know YouTube at all and how to succeed there, you know that momentum matters in a big way. And so when you can show YouTube that you bring the heat, that you can bring people, they want to send you more people because you're showing them that you can help them make more money. They'll help you make more money. Let's get right. this party train going. I mean, like that's literally what, what the deal is. So 
YouTube Live is making that happen in a new way. Super chats are very interesting and, and made sense for the rollout because in order to incentivize a creator who's used to pre-recording and producing their content a certain way so that their audience is tailored for that sort of thing, you have to give them um, a, a way to make a live stream a little bit more special. Because if you actually were to meet the average YouTuber, and I might even be considered one of them, they may not always be as good live as they are pre-recorded. So, I mean, you really have to give them more of an incentive to try it. And Super Chats are doing that. If you're not familiar with Super Chat, essentially the idea is if you post a comment and you pay to kind of promote the comment, it's more likely to be seen by the creator. And then depending on how much money you you donated essentially or paid for the comment, um, it, that it has a timeline of how long it'll stay at the top of the feed. But it's a great feature. It's definitely added some interesting flair to the YouTube comments. And this is very important because although Facebook, I think, sees the same sort of thing, YouTube comments get crazy when you are uh, a YouTube creator, even at the 100,000 subscriber level, but certainly million or more. I mean, you can't read a thing. So the super chat really adds an element of where the creator is actually able to engage the comments where they wouldn't have really been able to before. So it's not just a revenue opportunity. It's a logistical thing. Like, and it's important. Right. And if you're surprised, you know, like, oh, I think Facebook or I think Periscope is really where the whole game's being played or whatever. Mm -hmm. A friend just showed me on uh, TweetDeck set up, right? And put hashtag YouTube, hashtag Periscope, hashtag Facebook Live or whatever in. And the YouTube is streaming by like you can't you can't even read it. So just to understand the amount of people who are active on YouTube, like it, it really hit home to me in a way that just the raw numbers or whatever wouldn't have gotten across to me. So yeah. um, there is an audience definitely there for YouTube videos. There's obviously a lot of creators there, right. Who aren't succeeding all that much, but there, there is an audience there for people who bring good content and, and stay and stay with it. Do you know for Super Chat how many followers you have to have? Um, Super Chat is just integrated into into YouTube Live. So, um, oh, I should have done my research on this. But because the mobile feature is only ten thousand and up, that sort of gives you a gauge there. Right. In reality, if you have if you have sort of mobilized your YouTube channel the right way where you sort of, you verify that you own it. You, you, you can get it verified in a certain way, not like a verified check, but there's a right. different sort of backend verification. If you do that stuff, you should have the ability to go live period. So mm -hmm. if you were using desktop wirecast, et cetera, I'm pretty sure super chat is included in that. So you're basically just having to activate it on the back end, unless they have limited super chats at this point to a certain number of subscribers. I would imagine it's in the ballpark of 10,000 or plus. 10,000 plus because that's where live right. has been rolled out to. And they were careful to do those things very closely together for that reason, I think. So that's what I would be inclined to say. I guess I know for sure it's 10,000 plus. Right. For it live. Could be less if it's available from desktop live streaming. Right. Right. Um, 
that kind of answers a question on how to get there, right? Like, because there's there's more than one way to get there. But this is still a relevant question, whether it has to do with going live from mobile or just for anybody who wants to grow their channel. And and Jennifer Quinn asks, so how do you get to 10,000 subscribers? Fastest path, please, Amy. <laughs> please give us the path. Here's Set us on that path, please, Amy. Everybody, everybody wants like a certain number, right? Like it's so it's it's super it makes sense because now YouTube is saying like, oh, you got to have 10,000 or more. I mean, like the the threshold for being accepted into the YouTube camp that I was invited to in New York was 10,000 or more. That's essentially the indicator to YouTube that you have started a great basis for a channel and you have somewhere to grow to. Pretty much everywhere underneath that, you're not making YouTube much money. You haven't really shown a reliability factor. And so because of that, I guess that's where they get their threshold from. If it, So I think I just want you to take that as a cue, as a creator, that no pun intended, Jenny Q, that uh, the, the 10,000 number is assigned to YouTube that you've built a really nice just a starting point. So with that, I mean, the hard part about YouTube is the fact that you go there and you have nothing going on. So you upload and then you may not see anything happen. Everybody thinks Facebook is like so generous that they're just giving us views, but everyone forgets of how much work and energy and life we have spent on Facebook over the last X number of years. So because you've been posting pictures, liking baby photos and sharing your life events, when you upload a video to Facebook, you're going to get some traction. And Ross, we were talking before you went live about what happened when you went live on your personal page. And that's because you have friends and family and all these people that have, have like you, they became your friend on Facebook and therefore there's that rapport there. When you don't have that rapport on YouTube, it can be very hard to grow. But it's just like anything else. If you wanted people to join your email list, what would you ask people to do? You'd ask them to join your email list. Where would you go to ask that? You would go to wherever your network is at this moment. So that's why I always talk about the importance of making sure that you're very intentional of where you're asking people to go. You'll often see me do what might be the dumbest thing ever on Facebook, which uh -oh. is posting a YouTube link. They don't like YouTube links. They would much rather me upload my content natively or go live to talk about something or anything else but use a YouTube link. But my priority for a video on YouTube is to send as many people to it as possible in the first couple of days because that's going to indicate to YouTube that I bring the heat. I bring people. I'm going right. to start people's sessions on the platform, which is a positive reflection of me as a channel, and they can trust me to continue to do that, and they're only going to see an uptick from me. If you want more subscribers and more than just your own network yourself and continuing to work that ask, because you got to work the ask. If you want YouTube to start sending you people, you have to show them the uptick. If you right. want them to send you people, you've got to bring people to YouTube. And that is the biggest thing I think people miss the boat on. They're so worried about repurposing. Where repurposing is, let's go make a video and then upload it to all the places. And right. that video is not being done justice because it wasn't made for one place then. If it wasn't intentionally made for one place and it was just made for all the places, it's probably not going to perform well in all the places. And you're spreading your network out across the board. Oh, well, thanks for uploading it here on Facebook. I have no right. reason to go over to YouTube now. I mean, people just don't focus. They just want they just want the growth to happen because they graced YouTube with some content. And it's just not going to work that way. You have to have an intentional 
schedule and program uh, designed for YouTube and the Facebook strategy is different and the website strategy is different and the Instagram strategy is different. These are all different cocktail parties that we're attending and you have to respect those contexts. Can you give a like a sort of a brief summary of kind of what makes what makes a good YouTube video different from a good Facebook video from a good yeah, Instagram video? Absolutely. I, so first, let's kind of go into this like party idea, right? If if Facebook is a party, it's like a family reunion. Like that's the zone people are in. People go to YouTube. It's like a slumber party. Snapchat is kind of like a rave. Instagram is like New York Fashion Week. When you start to categorize these different places, and it might be a little bit different in your scenario, if you categorize them and you start thinking about them this way, you really will respect the fact that you don't wear the same thing to the Super Bowl party that you wear to New York Fashion Week. It's just not how that works. So how do you take that context and put it into your content so it makes sense when you get there and you upload it and people are like, this fits here, and then you show off your personality, that's how you stand out. So the practicality of that is when you go to YouTube, you look at a title and a thumbnail to decide on a video. When you watched this video on Facebook, two talking heads without audio just showed up on your newsfeed. <laughs> right? It's a totally different experience. <laughs> it's you, so true. You intentionally went to, to YouTube and clicked play on a video and it brought you audio and video at the same time, an anomaly in this day and age. Right. On Facebook, <laughs> we showed up while you were stalking your ex. So that is why I'm trying to get across to you the difference between YouTube being very intentional and Facebook is disruptive. So with that being the case, you just have I just posted a video today on how I make my YouTube thumbnails. So important. It is right. the first visual connection somebody makes to my video if they want to watch it on YouTube. So I've got to knock that out of the park. It's a picture. If we haven't figured out how to make a picture in 2017 with the way phones work, I mean, like we're in trouble. That's what I got to do right. over there. On Facebook, I have to think about the fact that this video is going to be playing. The content of it has to bring somebody in. And that is the thing that's going to make a video work on Facebook. So the reality is the videos I used to do and, and still do to this day, I stand in front of a bookshelf and I talk and I might be cutting and cutting and cutting and I'm fun to hang out with if you've got audio on. But if I'm just a talking head with no audio in front of a bookshelf and I'm auto playing on your Facebook feed, am I really going to pull you in? And that's why those videos don't do as well on Facebook. I've got to at least add big captions in order for you to give a crap what I'm talking about to pull you in. So that's just, I mean, I think that's the example I'm going to use because it's wildly different. It's wildly different. Instagram, not the same as Snapchat. People will listen to your rants on Snapchat. They, they have no problem with that. On Instagram, they're so used to scrolling and double tapping and scrolling and double tapping. They just want to keep looking right. at pretty things. So keep showing them pretty things in your Instagram story. So and it's different for everyone, but these are the contexts you have to think about. And it's what makes video wildly different. Do you recommend doing video on Instagram or just stick to photos? Because when I'm in an Instagram mode, a lot of times I won't stop to watch a video. Thank you. I'm so glad you said that, Rob. <laughs> it's like you know my entire spiel. Okay, in my in my personal opinion, I believe that video is uh, let me differentiate. Before Instagram stories, there was the ability to upload video to Instagram. Right. I believe that functionality is what started to 
decline in the engagement and in-app time for Instagram that made it move over to Snapchat. I don't know why that same sort of idea. Well, actually I do. And I know exactly why, because mm -hmm. nobody, first of all, everyone's going to Instagram to scroll and double tap, scroll and double tap. They don't have time to watch your video. They certainly weren't listening to it. They might like it because they were scrolling and double tapping, but they probably weren't actually watching it. They are watching video on Snapchat because Snapchat are the inventors of giving the jump cut to the average user. So if you watch my videos, you're probably familiar with the jump cut. I don't tend to let you hear me breathe or take breaks. And so by taking those spaces out, I jump cut all of my video together. So it's very quick and easy to watch and right. very fast paced. And it causes you to reset very often. And I'm getting your attention again. I'm getting your attention again because something unnatural is happening. Snapchat gave that to the average user with the press of a button. You can only record a clip for 10 seconds. So you're forced to kind of reset at the, each and every end of those. That video wins over long, boring video all day. Mm -hmm. And it's the reason why so many people on YouTube are successful. So I believe that's why Snapchat started to take off and also why Instagram was like, you're right, Snapchat, let's take that functionality away from you and add it to our platform. So I, I don't like the idea of uploading video to Instagram um, long form, long form being what's long form for Instagram. Um, unless it's, again, Facebook friendly, right? The captions, maybe it's a boomerang or something to right. that effect, but you really have to do something that's going to catch the eye of somebody that's scrolling and probably not listening. <laughs> Instagram stories is a little bit different, but that's my belief. I mean, I don't think it's an accident that that's when things started to go downhill for Instagram is after right. they introduced uploading because guess what? Somebody made a one minute video for Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram then instead of customizing it for one platform and now it's everywhere and nobody's actually watching it because it's everywhere and it wasn't right. made for one place. Especially people don't put enough weight in that. It matters. Absolutely. I think Instagram, at least for me, is where I go when I really, it's like the social network I go when I really don't want to be that social, right? <laughs> or I'm not yeah. going to Instagram to learn things. It's like, okay, I'm right. just going to relax and look you at pictures. You just like want to feel good, right? right. Like I'm going to go to Instagram because everyone's life looks amazing on Instagram. It's like, uh. this is like the coolest highlight <laughs> reel ever. This is the coolest <laughs> magazine. I call it the magazine of my life. I'm like, I feel like I'm Anna Wintour and I'm like, vetting photos that are good <laughs> enough for my Instagram. So I think you have to keep that in mind. People right. are taking that very seriously. Influencers are getting paid ridiculous amounts of money on Instagram right now, simply because of a photo and uh, not as often for a video. Right, right. Gord uh, has a good question here. He asks, if you will be using live video on YouTube for teaching, uh, well, he actually doesn't say YouTube, but let's assume YouTube, uh, or it could be any other platform. Will you use live video for mm -hmm. teaching mm -hmm. uh, or, or more for updates and, and Q&A? So I have a really hard time showing up to something that's just Q&A because it just I don't know. I, I'm very good at Q&A. I think if you're enjoying this, maybe. Um, I'm pretty good at Q&A, <laughs> but I also don't like showing up to something that's like, hey, guys, ask me questions. 
So I tend to lead with at least a topic and like a teaching of some kind in order to gear the discussion, but then factor Q&A into that. And I, I feel like that's a really good balance. I absolutely want to use live for that. I do use live for that right now. You know, my goal is to continue to grow the YouTube channel. So with that being the case, smart move for me to make YouTube happy and use their features. So I'm trying to, to create a regular schedule of going live. I literally look at Facebook as sort of an opportunity to connect with people live um, off, off of YouTube and in a different way because that's what's doing well over here too. So yeah, I, I definitely use it for both. And I try to make them both happen at the same time. I want to get to a question from uh, Jean or Jean. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I apologize. I had the question ready. Uh, and now I'm not seeing it, but I think I remember it. It was about uh, link shorteners. Uh, if you use a link shortener on Facebook, does that kind of save you from Facebook penalizing you for sending somebody outside of Facebook? I think we're we're losing Amy's audio a little bit. So. No. Oh, okay. I mean, you're still sound. You're still sound. Amy, I don't know if you can readjust. Like, I, we're we're kind of your audio is coming in and out. Um, hmm. we're talking with Amy Schmidauer, the author of Vlog Like a Boss. Uh, you can find out more information about her new Amazon bestseller at vloglikeaboss.com. Vloglikeaboss.com. Amy is the co-founder of Aftermark with Vincenzo Landino. She hosts Afterthoughts. Uh, I believe it's Thursday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern, typically, on Facebook Live. And let's see if Amy's uh, audio came back. Amy, are you there? I hope I'm here. Oh, you sound good. Okay, oh. good. I, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't want to touch anything. Don't touch I'm it. I'm afraid if I close out, I'm not going to come back. Don't touch it. <laughs> so anyway, we got a great group of people here. Daryl Stern is here. Jennifer Quinn. Gord is here. Great questions. Um, Gene is here. Valinda is here. Who else? Vincenzo, of course. I think you know him. Rachel Miller. Great to see you. Um, thanks, everybody. Kristen Cardos is here. Kristen, hope you're doing well. My people. So great to see you. Um you're on, you're on um, YouTube, you're on Facebook doing, doing content. You've decided that you're doing content differently on both places. Mm -hmm. For those of us who seem to get far more engagement with what we do on Facebook than what we do on YouTube, there's the jump cut. There's the keeping it quick and fast and moving, right? What else can we do? to draw in views on YouTube that we seem to be able to more easily draw in on, on Facebook. Well, and it's all perception, right? You can hear me okay, right? Yes, you can. Okay. I can hear you great. So it's all perception because if you really dive into insights and you look at those Facebook views, you really get a quick idea of how valuable they actually are. And it really depends on the, how long people are watching, you know, you automatically get a view if somebody's on seeing your video for three seconds on the feed. Does that really mean anything? Um, but I'm not saying like that doesn't matter. It's, it cer certainly does. 
And the jump cut doesn't even matter until someone's actually clicked on your video, right? right? And that's it, you know, on YouTube, you have to get that click first. So I think the biggest thing that people need to think about is what does your audience want to know that has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with your product, has nothing to do with anything that's, you know, self-congratulatory, but truly is something that they wanted to know about what you do or your industry or your space or the news or whatever it is. What's your take on it and how you can you provide it? One of the most incredible things about YouTube is it's the second largest search engine in the world, only to adopted mommy Google and the third most visited site in the world behind Facebook and Google. So with that being the case, We've got a lot of opportunity there, but what's even more incredible is that you can show up on the front page of YouTube search if you just do a little bit of homework and you bring some momentum to the table. So homework being what are we trying to show up and search for or trying to be referred for and get those keywords in place, just like you would a blog post, but even more simple because there's only three fields in a YouTube video and do that get people to go watch it and start to build up the fact that you could show up in new places now that don't have to do with your network, but your network helped you get there. That's all I've ever done is take what my audience wants to know. I ask them or I find out about them if they don't actually know who I am yet. If let's say I'm starting from zero and I just find out what they're thinking about. And then I go see if that's actually trending activity in search. And if it is, I make a video about it because at the very minimum, it's great customer service that I can answer that question by sending that video to somebody I know. But it's also something that if one person asked it, there's probably a million people Googling it. So why not try to show up for it myself? And that's all I did creating Savvy Sexy Social. I got ROI out of that because clients found me and they started hiring me. I didn't need a million subscribers to make that happen. But while I was building content for them, I was building up that that archive as well. And that's what's helped me also increase my rankings in search. So having that archive is super important. My right. number one most trafficked video is uh, because I couldn't find a good tutorial on how to embed a YouTube video into a PowerPoint presentation. Do you know how many people on the planet need that information? <laughs> right, More right. than I ever could have imagined because so many people have to put videos in a presentation for their boss or maybe it's something they're a speaker. I mean, like that's small percentage, a lot of people need to learn how to use PowerPoint. So I made that one presentation or I made that one video and that's a super highly watched video on my channel, but it wasn't right away. I had to bring people to it. People had to watch it. People had to like it. People had to engage it. It rised up in the rankings and now it's a number one result in Google search and YouTube search. So there's opportunity here, but you have to remember it is all SEO, even if it is video. Right. And um, you got to do your homework and you have to actually make sure it's something people want to know. And it doesn't have to do with you. Right. So many people don't get out of the box of their own product or service. And it's like, get outside of the box. Right. I, I mean, there's no question that, that views are overvalued on Facebook, right? Okay. I mean, most views are like somebody scrolling by and they, yeah. they forget to lift their thumb. And right. it's like, oh, got stuck on that one. Okay. Uh-huh. We, gotta, gotta, we got another view. Um. But the difference, like for me anyway, the difference is so big that even if only 10% of people actually stick around for a little while, um, I just went back. I'm a little a little delayed in getting some stuff on YouTube, but I went back and I looked at a video that did well on Facebook, right? Um, I, and when I when I interviewed um, Brie Kelly, we got we got uh, 1,500 views on Facebook. Mm-hmm. The YouTube 
version. Now, granted, it was done for a Facebook audience. It was done live on Facebook. It was promoted to Facebook over the next before and after. But it's still striking that 1500 versus 20. Yeah, but I mean, it literally like it was just your video dumping zone. Like, what right. did you did you customize it for her name? Is she being searched for? Is what she talks about being searched for? Like, how do you leverage the the hook of that right. video and then make it worth it for that community? So that's piece number one. Piece number two is that this was a live video, um, which already you know the replays on a live video even if it was done on youtube right. it, they might not do as well as the live interaction because live is better live right than live on a replay like it just is especially if you're stopping to answer a bunch of questions and all kinds of stuff so could you have taken that interview and turned it in from a four to, from a 40 minute interview into a 15 minute video of the best pieces of what was said and try to have the best moment at the beginning and then fa- you have to customize right. the experience Period. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, you probably you probably only got your views from people that either subscribed, maybe, or clicked your link someplace else because you didn't customize it for people to discover it. Right, right. So short form content out of a long form piece like that. If it's I a be- live piece, I believe you have. Part of it is live needs to be shorter when it's on replay. That, right. I mean, not needs, but ideally, like if you really want a good user experience for the replay. However. It's not that long form wins over short form anymore because YouTube wants more minutes watched. Mm-hmm. It's just that you show up to YouTube and you're not known. Like, let's just be real here. You, if you're known on Facebook, but if no one's actually aware of you, subscribed to you and watching you on YouTube, you're unknown there. So if you're right. unknown there and this video just gets uploaded and it's 20 minutes of live and you don't really have any commitment to it for any particular reason, it didn't show up in search. It you know, right, just right. happens to be somewhere showing up. There's no reason to watch the whole thing. So that's why I'm, I tend to say, and I do talk about this in my authority video formula, that if you're just getting started, you probably should maximize it at two to five minutes because you're trying to prove really quickly that you're worth someone's time and that you're worth being a subscriber or, or be subscribed to. And um, people don't have time to figure that out in your 20-minute live stream. Right. And so... I'm not saying long form doesn't work because it does. And that's why live streaming matters today in, in YouTube. And it's going to matter for channels period, but low investment in the beginning. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just low. Yeah. Low for the, for the viewer, not for for making the video. Like you don't do it on the, you don't just throw something up, but you, you, you don't make your, your viewer feel like they got to commit to 20 minutes to 40 minutes when they've never seen you before. Right. And like I said, Facebook is giving you all of these lovely, pretty views because you have been investing in their platform for um, probably more than a decade. Right. (laughs) So anybody of us, like, that's just a fact. So you have to build YouTube from the ground up. You did the work to get those views. You made friends. You liked a bunch of statuses. You have rapport. You have rapport with the platform and you have rapport with people, which is all that really matters. So, I mean, that's just it, period. People want to go to to YouTube and have that happen to them. Sorry, but this ain't blab and this ain't anything that just shows up onto the scene and is willing to push you to their featured tab just because they showed up and they're hoping to get some (laughs) attention. YouTube's been around. Well, blab had no curation. You wouldn't know what you were going to (laughs) get. Sorry, like. 
that's what it comes down to. Right, right. So um, let's get some more questions. Um, what kind of audience retention percentage? This is from uh, Gord. What kind of audience retention percentage time watched is needed for success in your channel? So audience retention is extremely important. And the basic definition of this is on average, how long are people watching your videos? The key thing here is that it's just not awful. Like if someone gets to your video because they looked at a thumbnail and a headline and they click on it and they're immediately disappointed because you tricked them or whatever, um, you're going to see a huge drop in audience retention right at the beginning of the video. That's a, that's a negative indicator to YouTube, especially because you probably made them want to leave YouTube as well, which is a negative for YouTube too. So all of those things are bad. On, but the, the thing is, audience retention nowadays is a little bit more relative because my audience retention rate on a live video I did recently is probably terrible because they're an hour long. But my videos that are five to seven minutes long are on average 50% and 50% is really good. Like if we can get someone to watch half the video on average, it's really good. But they may not watch 50% of an hour long video. It's going to be a very different ratio. That is why YouTube cares so much more about minutes watched because even if you only got 30% or let's say it's, it's 10% of an hour and you, so you get six minutes on average there, that six minutes of watch time or you could have gotten 50% of a five minute video. That's, that's very different. Now you're talking about two and a half minutes. So the watch time numbers are the more important thing. You wanna go back into your YouTube analytics and look at how many minutes watched and is that number increasing? If that number starts increasing and you start to see an uptick there in the back end of YouTube, YouTube likes you. So it's less about the percentage, although if there's like a 1% retention rate, you've got problems, um, but if you're getting people to watch minutes, you're doing good. All right, all right. Good to see Stephanie Liu is here. I hey. would say, hey, Stephanie, but then she'd think I was talking about her website. Um, <laughs> Meg Kearns, uh, Kristen Cardos, and Gord, thanks both of you for all the great comments and questions. Um, Meg asked the question, we, we kind of addressed this before, but maybe just we'll just recap real quick. Should you create content that can be utilized for a shorter YouTube video, but a longer podcast? Is it too redundant? No, that's just that's just great repurposing. If you actually repurpose. Right. Like repurposing is not copy paste. Like that's the biggest problem people have with video is copy paste. Oh, I made a video. Let's upload it to every single website that allows you to upload a video. That's not what you should be doing. But I've absolutely, I've leveraged pieces of videos for a podcast, but then I'll put that in context. You've got to do an intro and an outro. And in the same way, if there was a good moment from a podcast, I'll feature that in a video, but it's got to be customized for the experience. Absolutely. Right. And one of the things that um, I, I've noticed about YouTube videos that are, are good videos is usually there's a teaser or something right up front before. Like if somebody does an intro, which may or may not be a good strategy. Right. But usually there's some sort of teaser up front that like with a promise. Right. Like within five to ten seconds, this is what you're going to learn from your video. Right. And then you're like, okay, there's something I want to know. Now I can sit back and you can 
show your little open and your, exactly. you know, what you can exactly. do with your lower thirds and all that stuff. But it's like, exactly. I need to know in five to 10 seconds, should I stay or should I go? Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you have, you have eight seconds on average from somebody to click play on a YouTube video and want to stick around. So that's exactly right. You want, you want somebody that's, that said, I typed in the headline. I'm going to give you this. I gave it to you in the thumbnail. Now, when you click play, you're going to see me again to reiterate the fact that I'm showing up for you. But first, here's my logo and a pretty background. So yes, saying that is super important. The same idea for a vlogger, right? So if someone's sharing their day and they want to let you see into their life, their teaser should be the best thing that happened all day or the most connected thing to the headline. So that it's like, this thing happened. And then it's like rewind to the beginning of the day. And then you go through the rest of the, the, the day. That's the same idea for a tutorial. We can just say like today we're going over this, that, and the other thing, ready, set, go. And right. that's a really great reassurance. Either way, what you're doing is you are showing the viewer that you are going to make good on the promise you made in that headline and they should stick around to watch it. That's a very strong way to right. keep the audience retention rate above 1% and get them watching at least half the video. Now, how about in, in your YouTube description? Um, I see everything on YouTube from people who transcribe an hour video and try and stuff every word in there and people who put next to nothing in there at all. I see people who put every link to every social network and every affiliate and every company and, and, you know, every family member who's got a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And then other people who put like, here's my YouTube channel. Here's my business website. Thank you for watching. You know, what is, how does YouTube deal with all that? Like (laughs) all that stuff, like, is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? Is there algorithm set to like, reward or punish certain ways of doing it because i see everything and anything under the sun on youtube description (laughs) i I, that's a good way of phrasing it there are there are rewards and there are punishments so um let's let's talk about let's talk about neither first okay so let's talk about somebody who puts nothing in the description um it was really funny because Vincenzo and I were doing some research on YouTube channels and we went to Casey Neistat's channel and he doesn't use any tags like rare. It's like rare. Right. Like tags are so important, but like his content is just so good. He doesn't need anything. So there's, there's nothing there in terms of like descriptions. We'll, we'll often see people just say like, look, if you need to know anything from me, go to this website or here's my business email. And those are creators on YouTube that don't necessarily have a product for sale. They're just doing it because they love it and they might work with a sponsor, but that's pretty much it. So they don't have a whole lot that needs to be going for them in the description. And for whatever reason, that video doesn't need support. So what I mean by that is where we talk about rewards. The people that are transcribing their video and putting it in the description, in my opinion, that's just like poor use of the description. Go put the transcript where transcripts go or the SRT file. They they have a place. The description is not that. If we break this down, the description section of a video is similar to the content of a blog post, right? So... That's important because all of that content is now being weighed equally by YouTube in terms of search purposes. So you've given it a lot to work with if you put a whole transcription in there. Whereas 
you really only needed to back up the fact that you're talking about a specific phrase or a specific keyword in the description. So what I mean by that is, what's the keyword we're trying to make sure that YouTube knows that we're talking about here? And right. I'll give you the example of my popular video was embed a, a YouTube video into a PowerPoint presentation. Whatever the main phrase of that was, embed a YouTube video, it was in the headline, it was in the title, it was in the description, and it was in the tags. And as long as I cover that base, I get rewarded by YouTube because I have focused my copy to be around the one thing I really need YouTube to know about my video. So that if it doesn't have time, those are the main features that make that whole system and that algorithm really work. You've got to have your title, your description, and tags focused around the thing you want people to watch this video for. They do penalize you and they and they they punish you if you try to put like tags in the description. That's you can't do that. That's against terms of service. Tags have a place. Tags right. go in the tags. They don't go in the description. Shocking so, that it works that way. <laughs> sentences in the description. Just right. be careful about how you're doing that. And then leverage, yeah, leverage. We're losing your audio a little bit, Amy. Uh, while we're waiting for Amy to get back, we'll just remind you that her book is Vlog Like a Boss. It's an Amazon number one bestseller, and you can find it at vloglikeaboss.com, vloglikeaboss.com. Also, a reminder, you can save 20% on Archon Mounts by using the discount code ROSSBRAND. That's 20% off on Archon Mounts, including their super popular LED ring light that was the hit at Summit Live. Uh, check that out. Also, um, using Archon Mounts tripods for my cameras and all different stuff. Again, 20% off. Just use the code ROSSBRAND. No space, just... Uh, Ross brand, R-O-S-S-B-R-A-N-D. That's it. And save 20%. And thank you, Stephanie Lou, for throwing in vlog like a boss into the comments. And welcome. I saw Nick Rishwain. Barb Tomlin is here. Great to see you both. Uh, Matt Davis. Wow, Matt B. Davis. It's been a while. Uh, somebody I had on live stream sports uh, probably almost a year ago. Great to see you, Matt. Thanks for coming in. And thanks, everybody, for all your questions. Amy, can you hear us? Can we hear you? It looks like Amy has video or audio or both has frozen. Um, just throw a comment into the chat and let me know if you can still hear me. Uh, you hear me on my computer. Um, I, I'll stay on for a second. See if you can... Uh, what is it like? Uh, go into the settings, Amy, where you you shut off your video and then you come back without like refreshing your browser. Hey, thanks, Daryl. Daryl Stern. Uh, thank you for throwing that uh, Archon promo. Appreciate that. Again, Amy's book is Vlog Like a Boss. You can find it vloglikeaboss.com. Buy it on Amazon where it is a number one bestseller. Learn how to kill it online with video blogging. Uh, and Amy has a terrific YouTube channel. Check it out. She's uh, 
done lots of videos that really help you learn how to make videos, how to do SEO, how to do um, social media and uh, business advice. Uh, just very, very bright uh, and, and really on top of what's going on with YouTube and video and the whole social media scene. Amy is also... Uh, co-founder of Aftermark with Vincenzo Landino. They do live streaming and also they do video consulting. And uh, Amy said, can you remove me as a guest? Um, no, I can't. If I, There's nothing I can do, basically. Uh, oh, let me see if I can. You mean like hide you like this so that I'm just talking and you're not there anymore? <laughs> That's probably a good idea, Amy. Thank you. See, she's even producing just like from a distance in the chat. So you guys can still hear me, right? Um, so does anybody have any other questions about uh, anything else? It won't let Amy back in because there's a guest already. Yeah, see, I can't remove you as a guest. I can I can hide your video, um, but if I rem there's no way to remove you. I can either end the broadcast or not end the broadcast. Um, so we're almost at eight o'clock, um, and this has been fantastic. Um, it's kind of up to you uh, what to do from here, Amy. Uh, Stephanie Lou asks, uh, will Amy be at Social Media Marketing World? Amy, uh, maybe you could throw an answer into the chat. Uh, Amy says, well, I guess that's my time. I'm sorry again. Now, this was a this was a great interview. You've given a lot of time, and we really appreciate all the time that you've spent. Uh, check out Amy at vloglikeaboss.com. Check out her book. It's an Amazon number one bestseller. Amy says, yes, uh, she will be at Social Media Marketing World 17 in San Diego. She will be speaking on Thursday. Uh, let me just see what Daryl said. She can close the window. Yeah, Amy, did you try, Amy, real quick, did you try and close close out and then refresh? Do you want to try that one time to close out and just refresh and see if you come back in? Or it probably won't let you because it's saying that there's a guest. But try it on your phone. Can you drop off on your phone and then come try and come back in? If not, we'll we'll just end up. Amy says, yeah, that's why I can't get back in. Yeah, it's telling it's probably telling her that there's a guest in. So that's the deal. BeLive has certain limitations. And uh, while we love the platform and the ability to highlight comments on the chat as we're talking, um, one of the limitations is that when you're in the face-to-face -face interview mode, I can't just carry on the show and then a guest who dropped off can easily come back in. So uh, Stephanie Lou says, Amy Schmidauer, wonderful. I'd love to meet you and hear you speak. Yeah, that would be fantastic. I know uh, Stephanie's going to Social Media Marketing World. Uh, Amy says, thank you, Ross. Thank you, Amy. This was a lot of fun. I uh, hope everybody learned a few things, a few more tips about YouTube and definitely get her book, learn all about video creation and blogging and how to kill it online with video blogging. The book is Vlog Like a Boss. You can get it at vloglikeaboss.com. We will be back on Monday, 7 p.m. Eastern with Krishna Day from the Livestream Insiders. Can't wait to talk to her. You can also check out her show, Livestream Insiders, on Sundays, 2 p.m. Eastern. And Krishna will be on to talk all about different live streaming platforms and strategies and what's in the news related to live streaming. That's Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. And that show will be back on our 
live stream universe Facebook page. Just go to rossbrand.live, rossbrand.live to find it. Have a great evening, everybody.